I want to thank Coach Anthony Stone for the opportunity to be a contributing author to his new magazine, the Coach Stone Football Coaching Magazine, From the Field to Football Podcasts, Coaching in the Digital Era. This is a great opportunity for me to get out there and grow the community of the podcast. Uh, so if you're looking for some free football content, go ahead and follow the link that I'm going to provide in the description of this episode below. Uh, and you're going to get some free stuff uh, from including from me, from Coach Steve, from the Coach Steve Show, Coach PJ Davis from the Shavehead Podcast, uh, Coach Matt Barkley, Bartley from the Game Records and Slobberknockers Podcast, Coach Nick Banstra from his Kick and Cover Podcast, the Gap Down Backer Podcast, and also Coach Dustin Mills from the Anchor Down Podcast, as well as many others in the future. So if you are interested in free football content, and most of us coaches are, do us a huge favor and follow the link and like and subscribe to this magazine. It will help us out tremendously. Thank you. I'd like to thank our new sponsor, Launchpad Kickoff Tee, for joining us here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast family. Coaches, are you looking for that competitive edge, but you might not be paying attention to the kickoff game? Well, this is the company for you. I'd like you to go check them out. I have one sitting right here in my hand. It's incredibly unique. It's got a very large surface area and incredibly flexible wings. And so what this does for you here, it gives you extreme flexibility with how you want to kick off. Do you want to use the patented forward lean? Well, if you don't know what that is, go ahead and check out their website. You can do just about anything you want. You can dial up different types of squib kicks just with the different angles. You can literally do just about anything with this. And the nice thing is they send you this piece of paper here that goes with diagrams that show you all the different angles and techniques that they've discovered so far. And they are incredibly helpful on their website. I highly recommend you check them out. If you're interested, do me a favor. I want you to go to launchpadkickoftee.com slash ACP. Make sure you add the slash ACP. And if you're interested in buying one, if you go to this specific website, you can find the link, the, the link in the description below, you actually get a discount. You're going to get a 10% discount just from using the, the Armchair Coaching Podcast link. If you want to buy one, if you want to buy two, that's a savings of 25%. And if you buy three, you're actually going to get one for free. All right. So those are some huge deals that you're going to get there. So do us a huge favor. Check out our sponsor at Launchpad Kickoff Tea. Make sure that you go to the specific site, launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. Launchpadkickofftea.com slash ACP. On the kickoff, it's not like all the other kickoff teas that you have. It's incredibly unique. Welcome to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. My name is Coach Sheffer. I am your host, and we have another great guest today. We have Coach Mike Pollock, who is the Director of Training at Tip of the Spear Football. Thank you for coming in, Coach. Hey, I appreciate being here. Awesome. Um, so the first question, this is one that I ask every coach that comes on to the podcast, is um, I'm really weirdly fascinated with everybody's coach's story. Um so could you take a couple minutes just to uh, tell us and the listeners about your football background and then um, basically how did you end up where you are today? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I was kind of a late bloomer into the football world. I didn't start playing until I went to high school into the ninth grade. Um, played um, center in, in college at Arizona State. Had a pretty successful uh, career there. Got drafted in the second round in 2008 to the Indianapolis Colts. Played four years there. Then I spent a year with the Carolina Panthers and finished my last two years in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I played a lot of football at a high level, saw pretty much a lot of different ways to, to play the game, to be coached, a lot of different coaching styles. Um, and then to be honest, like when I retired from the NFL, like I was kind of burnt out physically from the toll of playing for like 16 consecutive balls and just wanted to have like a breather and enjoy my time away from the game. But um, one of my buddies who was a coach at the high school I attended was the, was the head coach and at the time. And he said, Hey, I, I know you just retired, but if you could spend a couple days a week, just kind of coming out and just sharing your experiences. So I was like, okay, I wasn't ready to become a full-time uh, high school coach, but uh, went out there. And, and at that point, I didn't really have any coaching experience. It was just playing experience. So I was teaching a lot of the things that were taught to me as a player that I found successful along the way. And um, we had a, a really fun season and the, the coach ended up taking the athletic director job and offered me the head coaching job. And I was like, man, in, in my second year coaching, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that from a, a personal standpoint, right? That's, it's a lot of investment to be a, a head high school coach these days. Um, so I said, I don't know. He goes, well, how about just being an offensive coordinator? I said, I'll do that. So I'll increase kind of my role, kind of committing a lot more my personal time to, to coaching. Um, but I really enjoyed having that hand um, in, in the play calling and um, being an offensive lineman, offensive line coach the year before, I mean, I, I love the, the challenge of looking at a game, uh, kind of game film and kind of breaking it down and going, man, this play is going to be great against this defense. If they roll this coverage, we're going to light them up. Um, had a lot of fun doing that. But at the same time, um, kind of my crop, my paths crossed again with Scott Peters, who started Tip of the Spear. And um, I knew Scott um, in passing a couple of times. He also was a center at Arizona State who mentored the center who mentored me. So there was this long lineage of centers at Arizona State for over a decade of, of guys playing really well, going to the league and kind of continuing that on. So I knew I knew of Scott um, as a player because that was one of the reasons I chose Arizona State. I mean, four of his five um, starters on the, his line his senior year ended up getting drafted. So I said, wow, these are, this is a good program for, as an offensive lineman. I kind of followed his career as he was in the NFL. I was – in college. Um, but, and then when we kind of switched, he was phasing out of the NFL. I was getting into my NFL career. He started um, getting into the, the basics of this program. And so um, I, I, I came across this path where I, I was really excited of being a high school coach. Go, man, this, my future is pretty bright in this. I've already been offered a head job. This could be my next career after the NFL and, and a lot of guys they get done with the league and they don't really know what's that next kind of phase of life going to look like I was ready to kind of be done with football um, but having a having two years kind of under my belt they kind of reignited my passion for the game um, but I was still at this point where I, 
I didn't really want my, I've got three kids, two boys. And I didn't really, I didn't really want my boys playing football. Cause it was, I was leaving at like the peak of the concussion crisis in the sport. That movie had just come out. There was a lot of um, articles on CTE and the dangers. And, and I'm kind of looking at all this stuff and going, am I damaged? Am I reading all this stuff? And they're telling me I'm broken because I did, I played football, but um, I mean, I, I played other sports. I, hit my head on other capacities but scott brought his program with at the time it was called safe football and he did a clinic for the school i was at and i was really just blown away at the the level of detail and the the way he created this progressive system to teach contact because i mean when you and i were playing football we were taught to incorporate our face mask and when we were blocking and here was a guy who was teaching me like that was wrong. And so obviously, I mean, it was a reprogramming of my brain. I mean, we, we played thinking of all of the battle scars on our helmet was like a, like a sign of like how big of a warrior we were. Right. That was like, Hey, look how messed up my helmet was at the end of the season comparing with your buddies. Like, no, nah, you didn't play very hard. Your helmet's clean. Well, kind of re having to reshift the focus of what it meant to play physically um, it, it kind of put me at this crossroads where, man, I can continue to coach high school football or I can go down this new path that's, I don't know what it, the path kind of leads, but there was, I just, I remember going to bed one night going, there's something about this program that he created that is going to change the game of football for, for the future. And I kind of took a leap of faith. I said, you know what? I enjoyed my time as a high school coach. Um, but I want to be able to take this on a national level, youth all the way to current NFL guys and, and kind of help change the, the negative stigma, especially the, the attrition in the sport. Participation had been declining for almost a decade. And now the programs that we're starting to work with are actually increasing their numbers. And a lot of it has to do with parents seeing like, hey, their coaches know what they're talking about and they're not telling them to use their helmet in the capacities that they remembered as a player. And so um, the, the, the teaching aspect of coaching is, is a little bit different in our world now because it's not, you don't see the day-to-day, -day, the kind of the day-to-day -day growth like you, you do with your players. You see what they are at the beginning of the season. You see what they end up with um, every clinic that we teach or camp that we offer, it's, it's, it's like winning a game. Like we leave and it's like, we won the game because we, we brought some new information that's going to benefit them from both a performance side and a safety side. So um, I, I just look back at kind of those different crossroads in our life and go, man, I, I took a big leap of faith. And so far it's, it's kind of paid off for itself and just getting started in, in my mind. That's amazing coach. Um, now what, before we get on to the next question, uh, we'll, we'll get to the tip of the spear program here in a minute. I, when you were talking, I just wanted to know what was the transition like from going from being an NFL player to becoming a coach? Was there like a jump from in your knowledge from being a player to being a coach? Because I know from personal experience, I, 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 the, the most I ever played was D3 college football. I didn't go to the NFL. Um, but I, I graduated thinking I knew football and then I started coaching. I was like, Oh my God, I have to relearn the, in the entire game. Did you have to go through anything similar? Absolutely. And, um, I kind of, it, it happened at different phases. I know when I 
became a senior in college, right? I'd been a, I had been went to ASU. I'd never played center. They threw me a ball and said, here, you're going to learn how to snap. And I said, okay, I got to figure this thing out and all these calls. And um, I felt by the time I graduated from ASU, I had a good grasp of the grasp of the game. I understood different defenses and how to kind of call, make line adjustments. And then I get drafted by the Colts. And now I'm blocking for Peyton Manning, who is just on a whole nother level mentally uh, of knowing the game that I go back to, I know nothing. And I have to study, 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 study. And then I go from Indianapolis to Carolina, where I'm now helping Cam Newton during his second season. Well, there's a whole new aspect of the game because they, at that point, they weren't putting a lot on um, Cam as far as changing protections when the safeties would shift or if there's a blitz doing that. So a lot of it came on uh, the center. And I learned a lot from a guy who I watched in college, Ryan Khalil at USC, who was one of the best centers I, I, I've been ever privileged to, to kind of play with or play against. I, I mean, I've, I've learned from Jeff Saturday in Indianapolis. So just immensely blessed with the people that have been around me to, to be able to learn from. But when I got to Carolina, it was like, I have to, I have to understand football beyond the box. And so up until that point, it was everything in the box. Defense alignment, is it a three technique? Is it one check? I, I knew that. The linebackers, their positions, their gap responsibilities, I knew that. But having to understand the, the secondary to a level that I had never had to before was a huge challenge. And I think um, looking back at it, like when you're in it and you're like, oh, i got to learn something new, it's kind of like, uh, there's this level of anxiety because obviously it's your job at that point. Um, but when I'm able to go back down from the when my NFL career ended and now I'm coaching high school football, I think that was the biggest transition. It was like you're as a player at the NFL, like you're expected to know it and how to do it. And if you don't, you're out. They're going to find someone who can. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the high school level and it's like, OK, we have to go back to your stance and fix your stance and that, that, I mean, that was the biggest transition. I mean, from the X's and O's, I, I, I was um, obviously you're, you're limited at the high school level or whatever level beyond or below the pros, because you don't have a five-star guy everywhere you go or all pro quarterback or uh, a running back who's six to two fifteen or two twenty. So having to learn the, the strengths and how to utilize those strengths was a, a, a very fun challenge, but it's, it's challenging. And I, and I see a lot of the high school coaches that we talk to now who, who say, you know what, this is our, this is our scheme. This is our offense or defense. We, this is my way we do it. We're going to do it. And then I see some other coaches who kind of take the, the Bill Belichick route as far as these are my studs. And this is how I'm going to incorporate getting them the ball or getting the ball into my playmaker's hands. And it's not, it, it may be different from week one to week seven or year one to year two, but we're going to do things that best suit our players. And I, I, there's something about that that's really stuck with me as a player, because I feel like I've had coaches teach me, okay, we're going to short set everything. We're going to deep set everything in pass protection. We're going to kick on this angle, this angle. We're going to do things one way. And I, I look back on it and go, man, like if I was ever taking, if I, I was ever trying to build a house, like I wouldn't cut a two by four with a hammer. I would use the specific tool for the specific job. And the more tools we can give our coaches and players, 
you're going to have a player who, man, he just he, – he can't deep set. He's so much better when he can get his hands on him now. So let's, let's, let's have that as an option. And so I think that was a big part of my transition coming back down to the high school rank was, hey, it's not about one way to do it. Mm-hmm. We, have a, a, we have an objective to do. We have an, a goal, a team goal, individual goals. Now what's the best way for that person, that individual – to get that job done. And I, I think that was, I know for me, my, the, my biggest challenge because I, my brain as a player was taught, no, you learn one way, you do it one way. And, and kind of to, to be able to take that from, from like your, your, your ego to be like, look, it, it's not about me. It's about these players having a successful year. And mm-hmm. that, that's something to try to uh, present to youth coaches, because I think today's world youth coaches put a tremendous amount of pressure on kids and you see, I, I think it helps le- it outside of the safety issues. Um, there's a, a lot of attrition that happens because kids get burnt out. I mean, we're mm-hmm. pushing kids to be specialized so early these days um, that I tell these youth coaches like, look, your number one goal as a youth coach is to make sure those kids at the end of the season, look at each other and go, that was so much fun. I can't wait until next season. Because there's going to be, I mean, I can't tell you all of the scores of my wins and losses. Um, it's the memories. It's the it's the the stuff in the locker room. It's it's the intangibles of football outside of the X's and O's. Like a, a lot of us, we get caught up in the scheme and not necessarily understand the the, the smaller the smaller wins along the way. Now you mentioned, um, I, I completely agree with everything you said. Um, for me, I think the hardest part, it's hard to explain. I was cocky and I thought I knew everything. I thought since I had played, I could obviously teach it and coach it, right? Well, being becoming a head coach of a freshman, a ninth grade football team and going 0-8 <laughs> that year really beat that out of my head. So I definitely, I can understand and see where you're coming from with, um, with all those points that you just made. Uh, Something else that I just wanted to know, you've mentioned being in the NFL and being in college at ASU. Who were some of the teams or the players that you just did not like playing against because they were either really good or you just did not like them very much? Uh, man, there, there's so many guys. I, I think um, when you get to the NFL – the, the one thing that everyone's like, who's the hardest one to block? And I'm like, it's not necessarily the hard, like there's some like just freak athletes, right? I mean, early in my days uh, blocking against guys like Albert Hainsworth and mm-hmm. uh, Kyle Vandenbosch, they used to, uh, in Tennessee, they used to put um, Albert Hainsworth as like a, a seven technique and then have Vandenbosch as like a wide nine and they'd run mm-hmm. all sorts of games and stuff. Um, I remember when Baltimore had Haloti Nada, um, just big poly guy in Rex Ryan's defense, they would put him in a three technique, but they'd back him off like three yards. So he could get like a head start bull rush on you. That was never really fun. Um, but um, it, it was always like the, for me, the, the water, water rushers, we call them guys that were real slippery. Um, the Texans used to have a guy, Antonio Smith, that was really, uh, he, he, his sack was, move was like that, like ninja sword. He'd like put it away. Um, but just really good player who, who knew how to um, kind of attack your weakness. And I think that was um, something that really became apparent at that level because, I mean, at some point, 
most of these NFL teams are roughly stacked with talent, right? Yeah. Uh, the starter comes out, the guy coming in is pretty good. Now there's obviously discrepancies between all pro guys, hall of fame guys and guys just barely making that bubble. Um, but understanding um, how to gain that competitive advantage, because a lot of times, I mean, you, you would assume that the NFL has the best coaches, right? That's why they're there. They're the best coaches. But um, some of my best coaches um, were actually in college. And, and I think having, and that's, that's not to discredit any of my NFL coaches. Um, that's just the, my, my personal feeling, just having more of a personal relationship. When you get to the NFL, it's just like, Hey, you're, you're just basically a number, right? They, there's some relationships that you build and um, the, the, the family aspect that comes into it, but the, the, the business side of it definitely just kind of is overbearing to a lot of guys. And I think that's why you see a lot of guys leave the NFL. Um, I mean, most guys don't leave under their own terms. And so they kind of leave with like a sour taste in your mouth. But I mean, as, as far as guys go, I mean, I mean, I played Dwight, just watching Dwight Freeney. Um, my, my first couple of years in Indy, when we'd be on the sideline and our coach would be like, Hey, we got to correct this. I'd be like, Hey, I want to watch Freeney tear up this tackle right now. It's third down. Everyone's getting excited. We're going to watch Freeney just, just spin and put this guy in the dust. So um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I don't want to be the guy name dropping all these people I played with or played against, but it, it's just unreal. The, the level of speed and talent and athleticism that exists at that level. And even more so today, I know um, Scott Peters, who started Tip of the Spears, now the assistant offensive line coach with the Cleveland Browns. And every week I'm watching their, their game tape on, um, on the internet and, and just going, man, these guys are so fast, so quick. Um, uh, to be able to block for a guy like Nick Chubb back there, like goodness gracious. And um, watching some of the things that they can do, it, it's just pretty pretty special. And so when you've been to that level, even even – even guys that haven't been to that level, but have played, they can have that appreciation for the level of athlete. And mm -hmm. um, I, I, back in my day, I was somewhat athletic, but I mean, the, the, the speed, the strength, the size that exists at that level is just unreal. But um, me as a player, I preferred the bigger guys because I want to go stick to them and keep them up on the line to keep their momentum going. But for me, the guys who, knew how to like break down your mechanics, knock your hands off of them. Um, a lot of guys are really good at grabbing your hands. A guy like Aaron Donald, I never played against him, but he, that's that type of guy who understands he, he, he's got the hand-eye coordination so far above most people that he is able to just to grab a, um, like, a like a strike, a, a pass protection strike, mid strike, and just deflect it just enough where he can alter the guy and, and get past them and just make it look so easy when, when you know it's not. Yeah, and he's he's an amazing athlete. Even at everybody says he, he's small, but I'm five nine. I'm small. <laughs> okay, they, they all everybody's like, oh, he's I, I forgot how, how tall is he? Like, do you remember? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I think he's just over six foot. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah we we had a guy like that in um, Cincinnati. He's still still there, Geno Atkins. Yeah, right. So mm -hmm. Geno Atkins three technique. You you look at him in street clothes, and you're like you're an all pro defensive tackle. And then he just hits you underneath the chest. I mean, he's got that built in natural leverage and he just understands how to use his hips and, and he's, he's grounded so well that it just makes him so much stronger. And um, we actually 
kind of did some self scouting um, a couple of years ago and, and noticed that if you, if you look at over, I don't know, five, 10 years, the history of the pro bowl and, and offensive line particular, if you took the average height and weight of the pro bowl offensive line, it's actually quite smaller and less weight than the average across the league. Mm-hmm. And so I think coaches are now changing their mentality of the type of player they're looking for. They, they used to be this term, a high cut player. Have you ever heard that before? So high yeah, cut player, meaning, meaning like really long legs, a shorter torso, long arms. And the, the idea was like, th- this guy can come off the line of scrimmage and generate so much power. But um, what we teach, especially has a lot to do with hip driven power. And so the high, the, the higher your hips are off the ground, the harder it is to get your hips underneath your opponent. So finding a guy with shorter legs is actually uh, probably naturally beneficial because they, they have that built-in leverage. Mm-hmm. All right, coach. Well, let's get into a conversation about uh, your program at tip of the spear. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit when you talked about your story uh, could you take some time to describe to the listeners like what exactly is the tip of the program, the, the tip of the spear program? Yeah. So again, Scott Peters, um, former center Arizona state played seven years in the NFL with um, the Eagles, the giants, the Panthers, Cardinals um, towards the tail end of his career, he was rehabbing an injury and he got introduced to Brazilian jujitsu. Ju- and I don't know if you're familiar with that or like the MMA world, but it was very new to him. And in the football world, we're taught this bigger, faster, stronger kind of ideology where you got to be bigger, better, and stronger than the dude across from you. So you can just go whoop them all game long. Well, he got into this realm that was completely foreign to him. And he, he, he's getting matched up with guys twice his age and half of his size. And he's just kind of like, I'm going to throw this guy around and, and let it be told like he's on his back tapping out because these guys are just kind of whizzing around him and not really understanding why that is. So he, he, he really dove in and learned a lot about jujitsu, the history, the, the way that these um, martial artists were positioning and posturing their bodies for leverage. And I mean, he, he, he was just drawn to it and, and developed this love for it, ended up becoming like a two-time world champion grappler in jujitsu, which was really cool. But he, he goes, man, there's a lot of components here that I can take back to the football world with me. And so uh, I think it was 2012 or 13. Um, he went up to the university of Washington where his old uh, O-line coach was teaching uh, coaching there. And he spent two weeks there working with the O-line and the D-line and, the, and their coaching staff, showing them um, some different ways that they could use their body, create leverage with their bodies. Because again, coming from our world of playing offensive line it was about okay going under the shoots and getting your your body or your head your pad level lower than your opponent and it, he said he he really discovered that it's not about your pad level being lower than your opponent it's getting your hips underneath your opponent's hips because um one of the things that we t- we talk about today is when we will ask players how many you how how many players can bench press more than they can squat. And typically on a, on a football team, it's zero, right? If you've got a good weight program and that's be, that's not because you're, you're not doing bench press enough. It's because the mechanics of your body, the muscles are bigger and stronger and can create more power. So if that's true, then I, I know I, I've heard coaches tell me I got to use explode with my hips on the football field, 
but the, the techniques and, and the drills that we were doing weren't really connecting those dots. And what Scott really did was he created a program to connect those dots and use hip driven power, um, but being kind of violent with their hands. Um, so he, he worked there for two, two weeks and they went on to set school records in like rushing yards, points scored, they number two in the nation in sacks. But at the end of the season, he got a call from his, uh, the, the athletic trainer at University of Washington. And they said, um, I don't know if you know this, but we had zero concussions this year. And so the coaches credited a lot of the performance, the success on the field to how violent their players were playing with their hands. They're using their hips. Um, but the, the safety component was kind of a byproduct. And so this kind of created this just giant um, movement in his brain and said, you know what, if I can create a better performing football player who's in better posture and position for contact, they're going to be safer. And what's really cool about our program is the way the body works is when you use your hips, when you, we call it uncoiling your hips, your head is actually drawn away from impact. Whereas you and I, we were taught to push. And when you go to push something, your head is drawn near and you, like your hips are left behind. And so it, it's kind of counterintuitive to tell someone to push, but also say, use your hips. That's like trying to incorporate your hips into a bench press. And it doesn't really correlate in the same fashion. Um, so he, he, he knew he was onto something. So we started this company called Safe Football. Um, and it was really just hitting a bunch of high schools and youth programs that were looking for different ways to teach safer techniques. And one of the things that Scott was really adamant about, he's like, look, I, I'm not trying to create this, the next generic blocking program or the next generic tackling program. We need, as coaches, need to have this aha moment and say, you know what, we need to refocus how we're teaching contact because it's the most important skill but it's the most underdeveloped. And most of the time it's because we feel constricted that we can only develop contact skills if we have our helmets and shoulder pads in a padded practice. Well, blocking, defeating blocks, tackling, tackle avoidance, these are all body mechanics that we can learn and develop in a year round fashion that we don't need pads. The pads are just there to kind of help alleviate the bumps and bruises. They're not the tool for contact. So we created this program to eliminate the helmet as a tool for contact but it's performance-based. So our goal is to make a better performing athlete, but by doing so, they're going to be safer on the back end because we, we've kind of, or we, we kind of snowballed during this time of the concussion crisis. We were talking before we started recording of um, people just didn't want to play, didn't want their kids to play because of all of this head trauma concern. Well, a lot of that has to do with, well, one, way back in the day, they had leather helmets. Obviously not good. The helmet technology is great. The, the more we've learned about concussions, we can diagnose, diagnose them. There's a lot more treatments along the way, but those are still all reactive. There, there still hasn't been anything on the front end to help with that problem. So our program says, you know what, we're going to come teach contact, blocking, defeating blocks, tackling, and tackle avoidance. But especially in one-on-one -on -one situations, there's a lot of universal principles that can be applied. So the, the, the more simplified that we can create a program that kind of meshes together and then the type of contact or what happens after contact, that's going to change based on the position I play, the scheme of the play. Um, but up until contact, I mean, there, there are so much universal principles that players, it's, it's the foundational stuff. Everyone's like, oh, I want to catch the one-handed ball or I want to work on double teams today or, or pulling or, or pass protection. 
Um, but a lot of the foundational stuff can be done year round. So you're reinforcing all of these principles. So now you go put the pads on, you're just that much better at football. So in 2017, we got partnered up with USA football to provide some content for their heads up program and whatnot, other programs uh, that they were offering at the time. Um, but we, we kind of had to kind of change our, we kind of rebrand a little bit, um, just from they were they were nervous about um, calling football safe, and so tip of the spear had always been our kind of private training kind of brand that we'd use. Or if we go to a college or NFL team, um, that same year we were at the Dallas Cowboys training camp. They brought us out to work with their O line um, for for the first week of camp. Um, but so we always went under that tip of the spear kind of brand, and, and, and it's not just some name out of the blue. It's a, actually a specific point of our hand. When we when we make hand contact, we're not trying to hit with our whole hand, our fingertips. You and I could share story of guys with messed up fingers pointing every which way. But on our hand, when we make hand contact, there's a bone opposite of our thumb called the lunate bone, and that's the most dense part of my hand. So when I make hand contact, that's really the only part of my body or only part of my hand that I want to make contact. And what makes it different is we're generating all the power from our hips. We want this ascending hip power to explode our hands up. And one of the, the big things when it comes to blocking is the positioning of the, like the elbows. I know I'm going to pan down a little bit, but the elbows. A lot of us were, I mean, way back in the day, the top bench press, like way out here, right? And then it was like, no, you got to squeeze your lats down, your elbows tight. So they kind of incorporated like the thumb up. You want to block with your thumb up. Well, we kind of even go further out and we want the thumb to kind of rotate 45 out because then it, it points the elbows. It forces the elbows to stay inside the frame of the body. Now, if the, the elbow stays inside of the frame of the body, when the hips uncoil, it creates like a buttress where all that power can be transferred through the forearm and through the hands. So when my elbows are inside the frame of my body, just like I'd be lifting like a big heavy boulder or something, my, the, the energy created from my hips can now go through my hands and up through my opponent rather than pushing out. So a lot of what we teach um, stems from a concept we call force deflection. So rather than trying to meet a force on a horizontal plane and I'm trying to fire off the ball and hit him on this horizontal plane and now it's like a pushback, kind of like two rams like coming off and button heads. Um, if you're the bigger player, it, it can be real easy just to move other people around. But if you're undersized, you're probably the one getting moved or, or incorporating a, a big uh, force upon impact. But by incorporating force deflection with those hips, I can take that oncoming force, use my hips to deflect that force up. And once that force is deflected up, it kind of dissipates and, and, and we're able to alter the body of our opponent based on our objective, right? If I'm an offensive player, I can kind of control them based on where I need the block to go. Um, but it, it's just a different philosophy for contact and, and making it into a, um, a progressive system that's based on mastery. So, so I don't know if you know a lot about like UFC. I wasn't really um, a, a, a big MMA fan until kind of getting connected with Scott and I've, I've done a lot more kind of just researching and, and watching. But when those guys are getting ready for a fight, they don't spend a lot of time in the ring sparring and just beating up on each other. Instead, they take the skills that they need and they dissect them down and they just, they drill them, right? So they work the groundwork, they work um, the submissions, they work the, the striking, they work the combinations, and then they put it together and then they go work here. Well, 
offensive lineman, I'm like, okay, what, what did I do in practice? And my, 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 my drill time was individual period, but it was really a glorified warm-up after my team warm-up, like getting ready for the team period. It wasn't really developing skills. It was more of just like, hey, this is what we do on Tuesdays, or this is what we do on Wednesdays. Here's the, the sled that we hit. We always do it just because that's what we do. We just kind of go through the motions instead of going, okay, well, how can we further dissect blocking and kind of expand upon it? So within what we teach, we use an acronym called CUF. And CUF stands for coil, uncoil, fit, and finish. So you take a, a, a concept like blocking, and now the coil aspect, we're going to talk about storing energy. So moving out of my stance to my target, storing as much energy I can in my hips. The uncoil is how do I get from that coiled position to explode with my hips. The fit is the, the point of contact. So if, am I using my hands? Am I using a single arm? Am I using my shoulder for contact? And then finishes what happens after contact. Because, I mean, really, the, I mean, most of my coaches were telling me after contact, drive your feet. Drive your feet until you hear the whistle. Well, a lot of times you're just sitting there pitter-pattering in, in place and you're not going anywhere. And so to have um, drills and techniques, it's almost like having answers for the test. So regardless of the situation, what usually what happens after contact is what's going to dictate who's going to win or lose that play. So just because you got blown off the ball doesn't mean the play is over. A lot of players kind of give up because they don't have these, these answers, these tools that we, we, we provide when we, when we work with these programs. So it, it's just a fantastic program. And Scott Peters is now coaching in the NFL because of this, he was supposed to go um, – Bill Callahan's the offensive line coach there. He know, he's been working with Bill for years now. And he was – when, when um, Stefanski got the head job in Cleveland, coming from Minnesota, he hired Bill, who was Washington before. He wanted Scott to come out for two weeks, kind of what he did with the University of Washington. Um, and he met with Stefanski, Stefanski and kind of proposed, here's, here's how we're going to train your players. This is my methodology for train, for teaching. And they were just blown away by the level of detail. And that's really one of the things that um, the – whether working with an NFL coach or NFL player or coach that's current or a, a youth football coach, it, it's this level of information. It's almost like trying to take a drink from a fire hose. You're like, I thought I knew football. And then all of a sudden this new whole door gets open and you're like, I, I don't know as much as I, I thought I did. And so for a lot of coaches – it can be challenging because, I mean, a lot of older coaches, even younger coaches who, who have their set ways, they're like, you know what, I've been doing it this way. It's been moderately successful or very successful. I don't necessarily need to learn anything new. And then they kind of see, I mean, we've, we've turned the minds of real old grimy NFL coaches who were never going to get away from lead stepping at their opponent, right? Taking that step at, their, uh, at the defender instead saying, you know what, just, just try it, feel it, and, and you make the decision for you. And so one of the things that we do when we go work at a, at a program, we try to like disarm the room. It's like, look, we're all, everyone that works for Tip of the Spear is a former NFL player, but that's not, that's just what we got to do. I mean, we're here today because had we, had we had the option to go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't do it the same way I did it. I would incorporate a lot of what we teach. And so it, it's not it's not to say that the drills out there or the ideas out there are all bad. It's just there's a lot of things that can improve what you're currently doing, and um, we're just we're just seeing a huge 
um, growth, obviously going into this COVID year has been challenging for everybody, but I mean, the, the thirst for knowledge out there from a technical standpoint, I think it, it is higher than it's ever been. And I think there's a lot of good resources out there. Um, but I know people are, are, they just, they, they're drawn to us because our program is performance based. And at the end of the day, coaches, when you, when you talk about those high school coaches and above, they want to win. They want players who know how to win the safety aspect. They care about their players, but they want to win. Right. And so to have a program that we're, we're not out here selling you a minivan, right? No coach wants to go like, Hey, I've got a minivan I'm driving today. Hey guys, like, no, they want the, they want the race car. Right. Now, if we can incorporate a performance program that yields safety benefits, then you have a win-win. And I think that's, that's really the, the, the path that I could, I, I envisioned when I first got into this, I'm like, man, you're going to be able to go to any AD and say, we can reduce your concussions. We can reduce the number of head and neck injuries that you've had previously. We can improve the competitiveness of your players. It doesn't matter. Not everyone has 300 pound offense alignment, 250 pound offense alignment in high school, but the players that you do have, you can drastically improve their, their consistency of success by implementing these techniques. Yeah. And, uh, listeners, you guys, you can't really see this. I'm over here taking notes just from the, just from that one question, coach, I've already got, you know, hips under the opponent's hips, force deflection cuff. I really like that one. Uh, that, that's a really good one. Um, and you also mentioned during, during that time that how you came up with the name and the whole time I was sitting there thinking, I was like, man, that, that hat looks really nice. <laughs> yeah. I might yeah. have to get got, one for myself. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, um, I mean, Scott did all the branding in the, the backstory. I'm just kind of championing this message. Now I'm carrying the torch, um, on his behalf while he's, um, living the, living every coach's dream. Um, well, most coaches dreams being in the NFL, but, um, it, it, it's really cool to, to be able to go, to uh, a place like with the Cowboys. When we went, they had guys like Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, perennial Pro Bowl players, and they're doing the same thing that you're doing, taking notes. And um, just having that affirmation from my standpoint, I mean, we've met with um, top-level speed and conditioning strength coaches who, who go, man, all of your biomechanics, uh, all that stuff is right. You guys have something very special, so unique, and it's just, the, it's just getting back to the basics, but having a better plan about it and having a program that you can develop contact skills in a year round setting. Whereas, I mean, I played other sports, I was a baseball player. So in the off season, I was in the batting cages, working on hitting a curveball, learning how to hit a ball the other way, different skills. Well, in the off season for football, I was just lifting weights and running. I wasn't really taking pass sets. I wasn't practicing exploding with my hips or learning how to fit with my hands. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing, um, we're, we're trying to change the, the culture of training for football because I mean, contact we believe is the most important skill. Yeah. You need a quarterback. Yeah. You need someone who can catch the ball and tackle and all that, but contact is going to occur on every single play in some capacity. It's not going to be a tackle every single play, and that, that's one of the things that we didn't want to box ourselves into, oh, we're just a blocking or we're just a tackling program. Because there's some great programs out there that do those things. Um, but we wanted something that was universal, that if you teach tip of the spear, 
your blockers are going to hear some of the same language that your defenders who are going to tackle somebody will as well. And um, I, I just think a lot of coaches are looking for that. They're not there. It, it, it's like, okay, well, our pass plays are called this, but our run plays are called this and they don't have any correlation together there. You don't really see that often. A lot of times your playbook go is hand in hand with how you call plays or there there's a pattern to those um, things to make it easy for the players because at below college youth or high school and youth football, like those playbooks need to be as simple as possible. Um, but they're not, they're not, there's lots of, People that think they're the the next um, Lincoln Riley out there drawing stuff up or just guys um, out there drawing plays in the sand instead of going, you know what, we got to really hone on these, these fundamentals, these basics for contact, because if we can develop those, and then a lot of the stuff we do um, when we work with players, it's getting them to understand you can't just wait until football practice to get better at football. And they're like, they, a lot of them like, look at you like, what are you talking about? Like, that's when I get better at football. I'm like, well, think about the classroom. You're, you're, what, what's the ultimate kind of, what's your game in the classroom? Oh, it's a test. Okay. Well, you go to class, your teacher gives you classwork that helps you de- develop these skills for what's whatever curriculum's on the test. But then they also give you homework to take back home and reinforce it. So if you take that same process of learning to athletics, why is it only skill position players? Oh, we go run sevens and we do pat and go on the side on the weekends, but there's drills as linemen, especially I mean, playing offensive line is one of the most unnaturally athletic things you are being asked to do because a lot of what you're being asked to do is move with the people that you're, you're trying to protect. They're behind you. So there's a lot of trust involved. There's a lot of movement patterns that, aren't necessarily the the traditional linear movement patterns that we know as far as uh, speed ladders and agility bags and 40 yard dashes. There's a lot of different movements that are, are, that they, I mean, you have to invest the time in. So coming up with drills that are easy to do by yourself with another partner or buddy um, that will pay dividends when, when the pads come on, the lights come on and and it's, it's go time. So you guys are obviously having a lot of success because you're having, you know, you mentioned uh, University of Washington, you mentioned the the Browns, uh, the Cowboys, a bunch of other different teams. Um, and the thing that I keep thinking in my brain is, well, I'm, I'm just a high school coach. I'm not coaching, you know, Tyrone Smith. I'm not coaching all those big boys up, up in the NFL. Um, without, I, I know you would rather coaches go and, you know, get into the system, get into the program uh, without giving away too much. What are some things that me as a high school coach, what are, what are a couple of tips that you would have for me um, to get into this, like to start teaching the the tip of the spear program? What are some like maybe, maybe some drills or just some simple little tips you mentioned uh, hitting with this part of the hand instead of the, the, the whole hand. What are some other little things that I could teach my linemen? Um, right. Yeah. So I, again, going back to breaking it down, breaking down a concept like blocking, like a base block into that cuff progression, mm-hmm. it allows you to kind of implement that MMA style of training where you go back down. Okay. Let's really focus on the, the coil. How am I, what's my posture? And, and I think a lot of players play with too narrow of a base 
Um, and I remember most of my coaches early on will, would give me the, the coaching point of you want like shoulder width apart. Okay. Now you're going to kind of squat down and bend. Well, we really want our feet a little bit wider than our shoulders. Cause we want to create like a triangular base. The triangle is the strongest shape in nature. So we want our base to kind of follow that suit. So our hips are going to be inside of our knees. Our knees are inside our ankles and we want our toes to be turned out a little bit, not quite like a duck, but just enough to be, to be um, what we call grounded or rooted through our insteps, like the inside part of our foot. Um, I remember back in high school, cause that's when I first started playing, coaches were telling me to get my whole cleat in the ground. I don't want, you don't want your whole foot in the ground. You want your insteps of your feet. And by doing that, it, I mean, the, the ground is the only solid surface that we can draw energy from to create power. So we need to be as connected to that as possible. And so like you look at like an animal, like a gorilla who, whose feet can, can grab almost like our hands. Well, we don't have that ability per se, but we, we can almost squeeze the ground a little bit between our toes and our heels. It's more of a visual than actual grabbing of the ground. But by doing that, you're going to have such a stronger base and you're going to be able to weather a lot of these storms where a lot of kids get up on their toes um, skill position players really struggle with this. So a lot of what we talk about is pre-tackle contact because tackling, we did a, a self-study last year where about 25 to 40, about 25 to roughly 40% of plays in a given game don't end in a tackle. You have um, scoring plays, incomplete passes, play ball carriers running out of bounds. Um, but the skill position players who are used to running in a linear fashion, like running sprints, they um, what we call come to balance, um, transitioning from a sprint back down to a run, like breaking down, like right before contact, that pre-contact posture. Well, if I have my toes straight ahead, there's a high chance that I'm going to be up on the balls of my feet. Now, if my opponent changes directions, I'm going to have to put my heel down before I can change because I'm not a ballerina tiptoeing around on the field. Um, so a lot of the stuff that's basic um, is, is really getting into the coil and the uncoil, like understanding how to store that energy with that good triangular base and then understanding how to uncoil the hips because it's more than just standing up, right? You do a back squat, you're compressing your hips and then you're exploding up and that weight goes down and then up. We don't want that. We want to explode on a forward angle. We want our momentum to carry in front of us so our hands can attack our opponent based on our objective. Well, we incorporate a, a coaching point called the teeter. And the teeter is kind of like a small, um, subtle weight transfer forward. If you think of like, if you're in that squat position or that, that football ready stance, and it's just like you're, you're rocking forward until you feel your heels get ready to lift off the ground. Once your heels get ready to lift off the ground, then I'm going to uncoil my hips. And now that's going to take my, that all the energy that I can generate for my hips from being able to go uh, in a linear up and down, it's going to be able to kind of explode out almost like I'm priming a cannon, one of those stunt cannons that shoot the daredevil out. I'm trying to prime it towards my opponent prior to contact. Um, and that, and that's an, another um, concept that you don't really think about. A lot of guys just do naturally, but the more that you can have kind of uh, a, in, in it kind of laid out or patterned out for your players, it's easier if a, if a inconsistency occurs or a bad play, they can go back. Hey, was an issue with my coil? Was there something with my uncoil or did I miss with my hands? Um, because where we strike with their hands are different as well, because 
we have different objectives offensively and defensively. If I'm on offense, I'm an alignment or, or a skill position player blocking out in the perimeter. Um, I want to control my opponent. So I want to attack almost like I'm carrying that boulder, right? Getting that tip of the spear underneath like that lip of the shoulder pads, right? I was always taught um, to use like the sides of the shoulder pads as like a steering wheel. Well, when you do that, you're, you're allowing your opponent to incorporate a lot of his core muscles to resist any sort of force that you are applying. So if you can catch him underneath his shoulder pads, you're still kind of securing the outside of his shoulder pads. Um, but by hitting him up underneath the shoulder pads and with that ascending force from the hips, you're going to easily elevate his spine angle. And that's really the end goal in force deflection is we're trying to adjust the spine angle of our opponent because most players were strongest with our feet behind us to a certain extent. But so I have a forward tilt with my spine. I'm in a position of strength. If I can adjust that spine angle to a more neutral position, then he's going to be a lot weaker. That's going to be like you standing up. Someone can easily push you or manipulate your body. Whereas on defense, we don't necessarily want to control. We want to separate. We want to create length. We want to disengage so I can go find the ball and and tackle the ball carrier. So instead of having kind of that, um, we call a bridge fit. That's kind of like a carrying a bowler. We want to, attack long at length with a long arm with the thumb rotated out 45 degrees because again that changes the direction of the elbow it keeps it even though it's not up against the body it keeps it within the framework of the body the moment my thumb is straight up and down pointing to the sky hand thumb to the sky as force is applied there's a there's a a breaking point in my elbow by rotating my thumb out it keeps it nice and long I've, I, and I essentially create a spear striking with that tip of the spear first. And the, the landing point with that is not going to be at the base of the shoulder pads. It's going to be up higher up on the torso, like the outer edges of like those numbers on a jersey. If you, the reason that is is because you think of like a, a teeter-totter, a seesaw, right? The, the seats are furthest from the fulcrum as possible because they can generate more torque. So again, if I hit someone closer to his abs, that's like closer to the fulcrum of the spine angle, he's going to be able to resist all of the energy I can. And if I'm stronger than him, then yeah, I can do it. But if I'm undersized, probably not going to be able to manipulate him. But if I can attack him where he's weak, and that's where a lot of this program stems from is learning how to attack your opponent's weaknesses um, so you can manipulate them to accomplish your objective. So it's not just, hey, I'm bigger, faster, stronger than you. That's great. If you have big, fast, strong guys, that's great. But a lot of people don't. And you can't just go, hey, well, just try your best. Just just keep hitting your head against that wall. Maybe one day it will crack. Like, we, we've got to have a better system to uh, apply our, our technical instruction. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that I love about this program is everything that we teach has a why behind it. There's a, every little detail, I should be able to give you the why. Yeah. We, we, we played for coaches who gave us the dad adage, do it this way. Cause I, I said so. And you said, yes, sir. I'm going to go hit my head against that thing. But in, in today's world, good or bad, whatever you want to call it, everyone's, everyone's taught to question everything. So as a coach, the moment that you don't have an answer for something, you're just like, uh, I don't know. Well, you've just lost credibility with your players. If, if every, it, it's not, you want players who do, who, who, who execute the techniques that you're asking to, because that, that's what we're trying to instill in these football players. But 
by understanding the why makes you a better coach and it helps the player because because ideally as an offensive line coach you're responsible for watching five guys out there you have two eyes you can't look at all five guys at the same time the 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 objective here as as a coach is to get your players to a level where they can now coach themselves to an extent and and i kind of learned this when i went to the panthers um my my o-line coach there john matsko um he was a big i mean he 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 called it like it was every day we went in at camp he put our names on an overhead and he went up there with a sharpie and went right and he goes everyone below this line if cuts were today you'd be gone this brutal honesty that some guys just can't handle but what i loved about my time with him was he would challenge us he goes hey once a week, you're getting in front of this this entire group of offense alignment or in front of the offense, and you're gonna teach us what this what they're doing with this blitz. You're gonna break, you're gonna install this blitz pickup to these XYZ blitzes, whatever, whatever it was for that week. And so you're like, oh man, I've gotta, I've gotta know my stuff because I don't want to go up in front of the entire offense and be like, ah, I don't know what they're doing here. This guy's coming, I don't know what he's doing, who's replacing him. And so you have to get to that level of confidence and that's not going to happen at every level of the game but especially in the high school ranks with huddle with all these resources that coaches have at their fingertips it's possible if we understand uh a really really kind of the, the getting them on those stepping stones to, to get to that answer and and getting them to be able to diagnose and find their own answer so they don't have so there, nothing frustrated me more as a coach, then in the middle of a game, your line comes off after a bad series and you're like, hey man, what happened on what happened on this power? And they look at you like the deer in the headlights, are like, we ran, like what? I, I don't know what happened. I'm like, what do you mean? In the NFL, I take it for granted because after every play, you can look at the Jumbotron and be like, okay, that's, that's what I did wrong. And then you kind of clear it and you go to the next play. But at, at the lower levels, getting players to understand the process, not just the result. And so many players um, are so focused on like the end result. They hear the play, they go, oh, I have to block that guy. Well, how? If you understand the whole cuff progression, you're, you're more likely to be consistent um, much more than just going, oh, I'm gonna run off and smack that guy in the face. Yeah, coach, this is amazing stuff. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I have like a whole page already. <laughs> uh, Great. I was checking out your guys' website um, the past two days, and I know that you guys have a tip of the spear certification. I think you have a couple different certifications, if I'm correct. Yeah, so one of the things that we've – so typically how we operate, we, we do a lot of in-person clinics and camps. So um, whether that's a high school, like here in Arizona, there's a lot of high school districts that hire us to work with all of their schools. Um, there's individual high schools or individual youth programs. There's youth leagues. There's a league in New Jersey, the New Jersey Suburban Youth Football League, who that started with eight towns and over five, six years is now up to 24 towns because people are just like, you guys are doing it right. And one of the things that they do is they bring us out there, work with all of their coaches and all of their players um, in a hands-on certification. And, and by the, the, the term certification is not something that Scott or I 
prefer to use because it's like, oh, here's a piece of paper. What do you really know? Like we've all taken different types of certification. There's governing body certifications out there that are like true, false, true, false, true, true, true. And it's like, did I really learn something here that's going to help my players on the field? So understanding that's where the, the, the football world is heading. There's a lot of requirements on coaches these days, especially volunteer coaches. And it's like, Hey man, like I, I'm just, here because my son's here and I'm trying to help this guy with the team and um, so our certification has always been to provide uh, to, to kind of raise the bar on, on football knowledge rather than trying to, um, to work towards the lowest common denominator and go hey well this coach has never coached before let's all cater to what he needs let's go hey we're going to give you some stuff that you're going to be immediately successful right out of the gate but you're not expected to, to have this mastered. And so we, we, rather than having like here, we're going to check the box this year. Did you do your tip of the spear certification? We try to have some sort of progressive system where we're building in, we're bringing in something new each year. So when it's a new coaching staff, yeah, we'll go back down to our level one that we're kind of teaching the basics. But every time we come back, it's like, here's another piece. Here's, here's how we can incorporate double teams this year, or we can talk about this type of tackling. Um, but our, our, we just launched this summer, it was a digital certification. And so that was really big that um, a coach may be really interested in, in learning our program, but they didn't have the means to bring us out in for, for an in-person, for in-person clinic. Um, so we have a digital certification that uh, it, it, it covered, it's, it's a, it's a starting point, right? Whether or not you've kind of watched, I mean, prior to our certification, we have, different um, video libraries of drills. So we have our basic drills. We have some more high level stuff that goes all the way up to watching current NFL guys kind of sharpen their skills. Um, but our digital certification is really a, an option that, hey, if you have to take a certification for your, your youth football or your high school level, why don't you have a choice? And that, that was always kind of our thing is, I, when I, my first year coaching high school, I had to take one of those national certifications and it was painful. Like I, I'm like, I understand that I played in the NFL, but this information is so far beneath everyone else in this room that it's not providing anything of substance. And so with our certification, it, it, it's a starting point. It's starting the conversation. So you may be an NFL coach, you're going to learn something new from it. You maybe never coached football in your entire life. You're going to walk away with a ton that's going to help you that season. And that's, that's always been our biggest thing is you've been to clinics. We, you hear coaches say, if I go to like a state association clinic or I go to a, a Nike or a Glazier clinic, if I could take away one thing, then it was worth my time. Tip of the spear clinic, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You leave, you're like, holy crap, I didn't even know I didn't know that stuff. And, and then you're kind of left looking at your notebook going, does anyone else have a pen I can borrow? Cause I just used all my ink. And, um, but having a, a way where an individual coach can now go on to our website, get certified that may or may not be beneficial for, for their specific league. Um, the, again, the term certification is not something we, we ourselves hold in a super high manner because what does that really mean? But there's a lot of leagues that make you take these certifications and good, bad, indifferent. That's just the way the world is. And so now we have an, another option out there for coaches and 
that's it, it was really because of coaches asking us for one they would said hey can we have another option because we we're just kind of being stuffed the sandwich that no one here likes to take and I, I i'll never forget we were working with some pop warner teams um last year in the state of arizona and um without talking bad about the program that they had to take um we we walked in and all they were they were being presented by somebody else and their heads were down and they were just kind of all going through the motions like they do every single year we finish with them the the head of the the chapter here goes that's it next year we're gonna just only go tip of the spear we've got a standing ovation for all these coaches that we'd met it was our first time working with them and we're just like man like this is not not to pat ourselves on the back but the the point that coaches need a choice coaches need a choice and if everything if all things are equal we can check all the same boxes that your other certifications check but the information's a little bit better it's a little bit higher level um because i mean you and i have been around coaches who know their game and been around other coaches who think they know their game that don't um but we we need to provide we need to elevate everybody so if we're trying to if we're trying to make football sustainable for the future we have to approach contact with a smarter um, perspective a smarter um, skill development program because the one thing coaches have hated what they've told us is we don't want to make football safer if it makes it softer and that's that's the one thing that we are adamant against it's we're not making football softer we're making football better we're making we're teaching how to be aggressive without using your head to go around and smack people because i can go push my couch i can relocate my couch by just putting my head on it and pushing it around or or we saw what the sport of boxing has done as far as their attrition the, the, the game we know hitting your head is bad so we know we can't eliminate 100 percent of it but we can drastically reduce we've seen high schools reduce their concussions by 90 percent we've seen high schools improve their rushing yards by over 200 percent in a single season after taking one clinic so it's possible and it's and uh, to kind of reiterate it, it it's not we're not asking a coach any at any level to take everything he's taught and throw it out the window we're saying find something there's there's one there's at least one concept one drill that we're going to show you that you're going to go i'm going to use that and that's going to make my team better and then we go back the next year they go hey that was pretty cool. We, you, I got to show you this play because we were teaching them how to do that bridge fit. Man, we were just driving them off the ball five yards. Well, that's great, coach. What, what do you want to learn this year? And so having that conversation, having that relationship, I think um, Scott has always held uh, our standards with Tip of the Spear at the highest level. Like um, we, we have so many coaches that are, hey, can I, I would love to be a part of your program. And it's not that we want to have this like good old boys club of just former NFL players, but there's something about going into a room that coaches know that you've played at the highest level, but you look back on what you were taught before and go, let's, let's talk about a better method. It, it, it's not that it's, oh, here's a, a safer method. It, it's not about that. The safety is the byproduct. And I think that's what speaks to a lot of coaches is they can sell the safety to the parents, to the administrators, but they know they're going to get something that's going to make their football team better, make their program better, and, and, and win on game day. Yeah, we're all looking to make our teams better. And, and for me personally, I'm also looking to make my kids safer. Because uh, uh, earlier in the podcast, you were men mentioning how we were – kids our age 
when we were taught to block, yeah, I remember my coach vividly telling me to put the screws of my helmet into the screws of the other guy's helmet. And I, those scratches on our helmets, those were badges of honor. But nowadays, yeah. you, you know, I definitely thought about when seeing all the CTE stuff come out, I've, I've definitely thought about, man, I wonder if I took a lot of damage to my brain doing that. And um, it, it's kind of worrying, wor- worrisome. Yeah. Well, I think uh, a couple of years ago, there was a big push to eliminate youth football. And mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I didn't play football until I went to high school. So I can't speak to whether or not that's necessary to to advance to the higher levels of the game, because I didn't do that. And I still went to the NFL. But there are millions of kids that play youth football in our country. And I feel like if you told them, no, you can't play football, then a lot of those kids, yeah, they're going to go into other sports, but that does one of two things. Either they get so caught up in the other world of say basketball or baseball or soccer, then they go to high school. They're now they're specialized in that sport. Now nah, I'm not going to go for football. I'm, I, I'm, I like soccer or whatever. I like the sport. Um, but then you're also going to have kids that just don't do anything and they're out getting in trouble. And so I think football offers a lot. Um, in the terms of helping boys become men in our society today. Um, not to say that you only need football, but I know, I know for a fact I would be a completely different man, husband, father today had I not played football. Um, so I think we're, we would be doing a disservice to our community by just saying, no, this is bad, let's eliminate it. And we, we've, we kind of we're reaping the – all the changes that we've seen and we're trying to play all these governing bodies are trying to play catch up. So you see lots of rule changes every, you can't do this now. Can't do this. Can't do this. Well, we're saying if you don't, if you don't attack this problem from the front end and have something proactive, then you're just going to be playing catch up. And eventually the product on the field is going to be something no one wants to watch. No one wants to play. And it's just going to be glorified seven on seven. There was some state this summer trying, I think it was Vermont or New Hampshire that was trying to, eliminate linemen from high school football and just make it a seven on seven to, to, to have the distance factor. And then you realize, Hey, we're throwing this ball around that we're all touching. And they're like, that's probably not the, mm -hmm. that's not the best answer. But uh, the point being is, is providing these coaches at the youngest ages of the game with the resources that isn't, Oh, this is, this is what I did when I was a player. So you're going to do it too. It's, Hey, we all have to evolve here if we want football to be sustainable. Cause I know my, my sons, they love football now. And I, and it's, it's just happened naturally, right? Obviously they're getting to the age now where they kind of know, they understand what their dad did. Um, but I, I don't want my kids having to hide concussions or going back to the huddle and I'm looking two different ways and trying to shake it off before the next play. Um, but that was just a product of, of what I was taught. And, and people are like, well, I would never fault the coaches that I had because you don't know what you don't know. And so this is, this is new for a lot of people and there's aspects of it. You're like, Oh, that's like that one thing a few years ago. Um, one of our biggest advocates is um, Jim McNally, one of the godfathers of offensive line play and Scott and him have a real special relationship. And I mean, I think, he was a consultant with the Bengals when I was there. So I've kind of uh, known Jim for a while, but a guy like that who, who basically invented a lot of offensive line concepts, terminology, um, 
and, and to not be stuck in your ways. Cause I mean, I, I forget how old Jim is now, but it, it could be easy for him to be like, you know what, this is the only way I'm doing it. I've done it this forever. He's always, he's always been that way. He's always been trying to change and find um, the, the next best way to do it. And once he got connected with Scott, he's like, man, this is the best in the world. He goes, I, I, I don't know. I, I would throw everything out and just teach this. So, I mean, he, prior to Scott joining the Browns, he, him and Jim were doing clinics together all over the country and just real special. I mean, being an offensive lineman, you know, this, like there's this um, chemistry that we build. That's a lot different than a lot of the different positions. Cause there's a lot more humility that comes into play because mm-hmm. you're not the one scoring the points. You're the one protecting everybody. So you have to create, you have to like kind of create a game within the game to, to, to enjoy contact. And in this world today, like, kids growing up kids in high school like they're not rough housing like they used to climbing jumping off of stuff it's um so contact being physical putting your hands on somebody else and manipulating them it's very foreign and um if we're not being if we're not having capacities to teach and introduce contact then we're going to see the repercussions of all of these rule changes down the road in other in other forms oh we're having all these injuries why is it well i don't know maybe if i go back a couple steps oh well we took this rule out it's causing players to use their helmet. So example of that is, like you said, we were taught to put our face mask on our opponent. Well, at some point, coaches are now being taught, you can't, you can't have that same um, methodology. You have to take the helmet out of the game. Okay, well, if I keep everything in my instruction the same, but I just keep my head back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have um, unnecessary helmet contact as a byproduct of the faulty mechanics of my body. So again, my pushing mechanics, my elbows are outside the framework of my body. Mm-hmm. It's going to act like a shock absorber upon impact. So I may not be, I may not being taught to use my helmet, but because I'm not being taught different ways to adjust the mechanical flaws down kind of the kinetic chain, once impact occurs, all that force collapses my hands and boom, and now I'm hitting my head. I'm not being told to hit my head, but it's just a byproduct of that faulty the, the, those kind of it's like a like the paint by numbers or the draw by numbers like on a kid's menu like some of those numbers are out of order or they're missing numbers and you're not getting people to the end result because you're trying to just take out the number that you don't like and I think that's been one of the biggest um, concepts that coaches are drawn to about tip of the spear is like every it's it's like it's a it's a clear path of how to start where, where do I need to be at different phases of contact? And then I, I have a, now I have a, a game plan or a blueprint to kind of look back and go, Oh, this didn't work because I didn't use my hips. Right. Or I didn't do, um, I didn't have my base correct. And I think a lot of us, I mean, you think of like the weight room, I would never do a hang clean from a split stagger, like a split mm-hmm. stance because my hips are already locked. So I need to have square feet to be able to uncoil my hips. Well, when I uncoil my hips, it's not good enough just to bow my back back. I need my hips to, I need my pelvis, my hips to fully rotate through. It's something we call a posterior pelvic tilt because one of the criticisms of what we teach is that it, it leads to a hyperextended back. And that's completely false because what we teach, we teach the, the, the full mechanics of the uncoil process, keep the lumbar spine in a neutral position that you avoid having that, um, that issue. Now, are there going to be players who don't fully do that? Sure. But that's, that's no different than a player collapsing his arms and getting a concussion when you told him not to hit with his face mask. So 
um, giving coaches and players more information because they can take it there. We're in a world where we're, we understand how to absorb information. And as a coach, if we understand the why behind it, we're so much more likely to have consistency on the field. And, and that's, that's really what most coaches today are looking for is consistency. Cause it's one thing to go out there, punch your opponent in the mouth and, and have them fall down once, but then you take the beating the rest of the play. Uh, uh-uh. The coaches want to see consistency. And in the offensive line world, it used to be how many pancakes did you get? Oh, you only got 12 pancakes with it. it. Our objectives need to change. The objective of football is to win. Do we want to put that guy in the ground because it feels great? Absolutely. There's no better feeling as offensive lineman than putting your opponent that you physically manhandled in the dirt. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we did good on that play. So understanding what's the bigger picture here? How do I be more consistent? I'm not going out there just trying to have kill shots every play because it may work, it may not. And it may lead to a turnover that costs you the game because you weren't implementing proper technique. Well, Coach, you're doing an excellent job of promoting your program. And if I was a regular listener, I'd be like, how do I contact that guy? So um, – I know this is a weird year with COVID and the pandemic and all that, and it might mess with, you know, camps and clinics and things, but how can interested coaches contact you to get more information on the tip of the spear? Yeah. So our website is TOSFB.com or tip of the spear football.com and coaches can go on there and there's lots of resources. I mean, right now through all this COVID we've put up promotion, we have, three video libraries and uh, we were offering them a three 30 day trial. So you go on, sign up for any of the video libraries. You can watch them for 30 days for free. Just check out what you want. You don't like it or you want to cancel after the 30 days, cancel, not, nothing's charged. So we want to get that exposure out there. Um, then there's options for as far as the certification, there are in-person clinics. We have people contacting us, scheduling clinics and camps for next spring. Granted, everything, if we're in a somewhat normal society by then, hopefully. Um, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, tip of the spear FB, at tip of the spear FB. My Twitter handle is at Mike underscore Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-K. You can reach out to me, Mike, at TUSFB.com if you have a specific question. Because, um, again, that part of what I'm doing is sharing information that I wish was available to me. So a lot of these relationships that I've been building over the past five years since I've retired from the NFL, um, it, it's about that. It's about exchanging information. So it, it's not about, hey, let's, let's sign you all up so you can take the certification. That's great if you do. And our in-person certification is, is top notch. And one of the things that I love about our in-person certification is you get someone on site to come to your program, to take you through these principles of contact for all forms of contact, to walk you and your coaches through some drills. And then we can also incorporate a player camp. So now you get to hear our instructor, former NFL players, teach these drills from our voice and then work alongside your coaches to help facilitate the instruction with your players. So it's, it's a multi-step process. It's not just some true or false, um, even our, our, our digital certification. I know some of the other ones can be up to like four or five hours long and you're just sitting there going, Oh my gosh, I got stuff to do today. Our, our digital certifications under two hours and it covers 
all of our hand fits, all of our high-speed contact. We've incorporated some sports performance topics that coaches has, have asked us about as far as movement prep, um, nutrition, um, and then there's a risk management section to, to cover those areas that those certifications really need. So those um, identified concussions, heat illness, all, all of those topics to, to give coaches kind of a game plan in the event of emergency. Um, so TOSFB.com, lots of resources. And again, 30-day free trial to check out our videos, just see what we have. And then um, feel free to, to contact us. We'll reach back out and just see what you what your program needs. Because again, that's that's what we try to we we try to offer some offer some level of customization as far as hey we're we're really struggling tackling this year, so we'll shift a lot of focus on tackling, because one of the things that I think is has been overcoached in the past five years, if I'm being honest, is tackling. And like I said earlier, that tackling doesn't occur on every play, but during our self study we did last year, just going through NFL tapes and high school tape, people send to us. We noticed the number one issue of missed tackles is a lack of control, the player's lack of body control in space. Now, when you, when you think high school down, kids are growing, they're learning how to use their bodies, maybe they're hitting puberty. There, there's all these factors that make it hard to control your body. So rather than throwing, here's 30 tackling drills at you, or here's how we can do something real complex, we can get there. But to drastically improve your tackling, if you looked at, all of your missed tackles, if you paused it right at the moment of contact, you would see an issue with the base being way off. You'd, you'd see issues with the, the postures of the upper body because, again, contact. So one of the, the I guess, one of the last kind of tips I'll, I'll leave with you, because um, I could talk about this all day, um, is, is the way we teach contact. So you or I, we put shoulder pads on. I was still learning how to strap up my buckle. Coach taught me how to get in a three-point stance, blew the whistle, fire out, hit the guy. Well, when we teach coaches, we'll teach them that cuff progression. Boom, boom, boom. We'll teach them that lean, that linear progression. But when we start with players, we start them at that fit position. We get, we start their process of learning this program at that fit position. What does it feel like to have my hands on my opponent and use my hips to create power? From there, we're going to take the hands off and slowly increase the distance, speed, and intensity. So when you do get back to your starting positions, when you have that collision, it's not a surprise. They've been practicing it at non-threatening levels and with a little bit more speed and intensity. And now you back them up to what is a game-like scenario and now they have it nailed down. And that's been the biggest way that we've, we've, we've seen the, the most growth is, is doing it this manner. And it's the reason we do it. And again, it stems from the MMA world where you're taking that drill, putting it in a confined area and slowly incorporating more and more layers of, of football in this case. Well, Coach, this has been an amazing episode, and I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I love talking about this and love getting to meet new guys and um, just uh, appreciate your passion for, for sustaining football. It's something that um, I think it, it benefits a lot of people going forward, whether or not people are done playing at high school or, or after. Um, they can think back to when they played football, the good times that they had, and the lessons that have carried them into their adulthood life. So um, just being able to bring in more information to make that experience more successful. And again, having that safety as the byproduct um, just, just makes this a win-win program. And um, it, it's something that I'm excited for the future. And um, I mean, it's, it's something we get to see on Sundays with, with the Browns. And um, they've, they've been uh, one of the more surprising teams in the NFL this year. And no surprise to us because we knew 
Scott was going to help them and, and not saying that Scott had everything to do with it, but you're seeing like their linemen who was supposed, who were supposed to be kind of their weak spot on the team. And now you're seeing guys like being talked about or being mentioned to go to the pro bowl for the first time. And, and that's a huge testament to how um, some of these concepts have transpired at that level. But again, they're simple enough, they're simple enough to understand, to execute that we can get kids playing um, third, fourth, fifth grade. I mean, Texas pops them out in full pads. So they, they start a little bit earlier than everybody else, but we can start these fundamentals early. And what's even, what's, what's really cool is this is our second year. We have a flag football offering. So one of the, the districts here, we don't have middle school tackle football in Arizona. We have middle school flag football. And so one of the, the districts had asked us to build a program that kind of helps graduate them to our tackle program. So one of the things that we've done is we've taken our tackling techniques and we've kind of stripped it down to pulling flags. So everything I'm going to attack, I'm going to attack a, a ball carrier and pull their flag. Everything should be very in line with my approach to make a tackle, just not the contact. So we're, we're actually not only reaching the higher level, highest levels of the game, we're actually even going further down into flag football. So we're encompassing the whole spectrum of the sport. All right, listeners, this has been uh, Coach Mike Pollock, who is the director of training at Tip of the Spear Football. Uh, and this is Coach Sheffer signing off. All Armchair Coaching Podcast episodes have been edited by Coach James Heath. Follow Coach James Heath on Twitter at jrockfordheath. And if you are interested in starting your own podcast, contact Coach Heath and he will help you get set up with everything that you need for podcasting. Thank you, Coach Heath. I couldn't do it without you, brother.